in Luke chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible and you're visiting, just raise your hand. We'll be glad to put a Bible in your hand. Luke chapter 13. Just raise your hand and we'll be glad to, to place one with you. You can keep it if you need to. Luke 13, we'll pick up with verse 10. Before Mother's Day, we had got up to verse 9. Luke chapter 13, starting verse 10, I'll be read verses 10 through 21. Verse 10, and now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. That would be the seventh day of the week, not Sunday. Uh, Sunday is the first day of the week, but the seventh day of the week. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, the head guy, answered with indignation, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the crowd, there are six days in which men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath. The Lord then answered to him and said, hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from stall and lead it away to water, to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound, think of it. Jesus said, think about it. For 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. And then he said, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it? And to what, what, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and put in his garden, and it grew and became a large tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took, hid in three measures of meal, till it was all leavened. And Lord, we ask again for you to guide and lead this Bible study. These are your words. And Lord, instruct your people, but Lord, also soften our hearts that we wouldn't just hear, but we would not uh, let these things go in our ears without changing our hearts. And we ask this in your name. Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's word this morning, A Different Kind of Kingdom. A Different Kind of Kingdom. Aren't you glad Jesus is a different kind of king? A different kind of leader? A different ruler. The synagogue had a ruler here too. Jesus was a ruler, but they were a lot different as rulers, weren't they? Indignation versus compassion. You look at this woman, if you're taking notes up, we'll look at four things. No looking up, no limits, no love, and no longer. This woman, 18 years. My oldest daughter's only 14 some of you have kids that are 18 already or older, and so you, you've seen what an 18-year span looks like. Me and my wife will be married later this month 21 years. So 18 years is a good, healthy amount of time, a long time to have a singular condition as she had, her back completely hunched over, 
unable to move it. Think about like a 90-degree angle or something close to a 90-degree angle. We don't know how, how hunched it was. But it bent over to the place she couldn't look up, so her eyes were fixed on the ground. Can you imagine 18 years of this kind of pain? I don't know how many of you have had back problems. If you're of a certain age, almost all of you have had some time where you struggle with a back issue. I've had, uh, I've had surgery on my neck for a herniated disc. I still have one herniated disc. I know people that have had multiple back surgeries. But if you've ever had a pinched nerve, if you've ever had a herniated disc, if you've ever had a blown disc, if you've ever had back spasms, any of these things, you know how limiting they are. Very painful if the nerve is pinched and all the problems that come with it. But in this woman's day, no orthopedic surgeons, no laser surgery, no MRIs to determine what could we do. All that stuff was the condition would get worse and worse and worse and worse and more hunched over and more pain. Now eventually it, with nerves, how nerves work, eventually the pain will go away because the nerve dies but then you lose use of the legs or use uh, loose of, uh, if it's up in the upper part of the spine, your arms. But nevertheless, she was completely, whether it's scoliosis or what, whatever form of back issue, and there's a number of things that it could have been, completely hunched over. Her life was looking at the dust rather than the clouds, looking down rather than looking up. She couldn't look up. And yet in all of this, in all this bondage, she would continue to go to the synagogue. There's a, a good reminder for us that even when we feel like that, you still go to where God is. But she couldn't look up. Lots of pain. Lots of bondage. Completely uh, unable to escape. And how, you, you, you would think that, just like any of you that have uh, maybe a condition that you've had for years, she probably prayed many times. Lord, today heal me. Maybe today. Maybe somebody has a cure. Maybe somebody comes up with something. Maybe there's some advance in medicine. But she couldn't look up. Continually, day after day. And you know, when, you've, when you're in a condition like that, we sometimes see people of 18 years, we don't know how old she was, but she could remember when her life was normal. You know, I, I visit uh, people that are sick, and, you know, we obviously have Paula we pray for when her cancer. She can remember when her life was somewhat normal. And people that have a condition that everyone kind of looks at you when you're in a wheelchair. Everyone looks at you when you're bent over, and they're like, I wonder what it's like to be them. Well, they, they remember what it was like to be you when they could walk around normal. And they had their health, and they had, uh, they had their... Uh, Ability to just jump out of the bed and, and go serve a need. And by the way, for people that want to serve the Lord, one of the things that's the hardest for people that struggle with physical ailments is things they really would love to do and can't. They really do want to do them. And I have compassion for those people because I know what it's like at times when I've had with neck and back things that I desperately want to do and couldn't do them if I wanted to. And that's when you learn to grow in prayer. You have to. Because you can go anywhere in the world through prayer. You can visit India today in prayer. You can visit Africa today in prayer. But you can't visit physically or maybe you can't bend, uh, bend forward. But you can still come to the Lord 
And so she comes to the synagogue. 18 years, I can't imagine the struggle of 18 years of this kind of pain, this kind of misery, not able to look up. Breathing in the dust of everybody's feet instead of being above it. She comes to this synagogue, but she meets the one, if you're taking notes, with no limits. She couldn't look up, but Jesus doesn't have any limits, does he? And he's well aware of her background. He's well aware of what she's going through. He's there not only to teach. This is what I love about the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was not there just to teach that day. He was there for her specifically. You and I, when we go places and do things, we often forget, we think we're only there for the function at hand, when really it's always about the people. We, everywhere we go, God says, you think you're there to have lunch, and you are, but that's only part of why I have you there. Your biggest reason is I want you to say something to this person and they need to hear it. I wish we had the healing ability of Jesus, don't you? I wish when I walk into hospitals and visit someone, I could instantaneously lay hands on them and heal them. I don't have that. I know God can do it, and I've seen him heal people over time. Uh, not, I haven't seen an instantaneous healing of, of great gravity. I pray that when we see revival in this nation, we see some of those. And I know that these things have happened. But I know that when, when and wherever we go, the Lord wants us to go not just for the function, but to have our eyes open. Are we seeing people that are looking down? Are we seeing people that we see them as, well, we think, we think they're having a great time. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's all an act. Maybe they're depressed and this close to committing suicide, and we wouldn't know it unless we had the vision of the Spirit. So Jesus, he sees the whole crowd, but he also knew when he went there that day, I'm going to see her. And he knows she's been waiting for 18 years for a miracle. Notice, it's Jesus that calls her to him. Look look at verse 12. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him. I don't know how many people were in the synagogue that day, and I can almost guarantee she wasn't the only person with a physical malady, but hers maybe, maybe was the most pronounced and the most visible. But regardless, she had been coming to that synagogue. But this ruler, this rabbi, she doesn't know he's a ruler at this time, but this rabbi, Jesus, a teacher, just as much as a rabbi, more of a rabbi than the rabbis that were at the synagogue, this rabbi doesn't just kind of ignore her like other rabbis have. He says, woman, come here. Now, she probably doesn't know what he's going to do. But we see what he says. You're loose from your infirmity. No matter where we have been, no matter where we've ever been in life, no matter when we came to Christ, think about when we came to Christ. Now, this woman, uh, this this story is not a salvation story per se. It's more of a healing story. She appears to already be a follower of the Lord, at least the true and living God, and really surrendered, much like we would see Old Testament saints. But when we came to Jesus for salvation, we were not the ones to come first to him. He 
saw us first and was coming to us. Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save. It's always Jesus that spots us first rather than us spot him first. And this woman, she's bowed low. She couldn't look up because of the severe curvature of the spine. But her physical condition, think about this as well. Her physical condition is a picture of how we all should approach the Lord Jesus in a bowed position. It's a, it's a physical condition with a spiritual picture. We should be approaching Christ heads bowed low. Why? If you want the mercy of God, you have to come bowed down. God gives grace to the humble. What does the scripture say? He resists the proud. This doesn't matter if you're saved or unsaved. Well, I'm already saved. You still have to come bowed down. You came bowed down for salvation, and you'll have to come bowed down for continued work of grace and sanctification and ongoing victory in your life. Philippians 2.10, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. That's Christians bowing daily and the unsaved world bowing and the yet to be saved. James says in James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Do you realize you can't lift yourself up? Think about it like gravity. Jump and you'll be back on the ground in less than a second. Even if you jump a little higher than me, you're still going to be back on the ground in a fraction of a second as quickly as I am. But if the Lord lifts us up, like Peter was walking on water, that's a different story altogether. The Lord is the one that lifts us up, but we have to first come in this bowed position, her physical condition, a picture to us the way our heart should be, bowed down before the Lord. And this will remain true the rest of our life as a believer, continually bowing down before the Lord in our hearts. And as I mentioned, she appears to be a follower of God. She appears to be someone who already believes that God is her, is her Lord. And she comes faithfully within a God. Why do we believe that? Well, Jesus calls her a daughter of Abraham. He doesn't use that term lightly. Uh, later on in the New Testament, we're told that we are the sons and daughters of Abraham. That is not said we're the, it's a, we're the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. And it, it lead, Jesus does not say to her things like, uh, your sins are forgiven. It, it appears that this woman has already either come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah or already has that heart of repentance that God honors. You see, repentance is how we come to receive salvation. She had a repentant heart already, it appears. We don't know exactly but he calls her this daughter of Abraham, and he talks about Satan has bound her, and so we recognize that some physical ailments are the buffeting of Satan as well. They're not always, but some are. We all understand that. Some, some people are badgered by the enemy. But everyone is in spiritual darkness to Satan until Jesus looses them from the chains of sin. I wouldn't say dogmatically that she was already a believer, but it appears that way. As Jesus talks about, she is, not was or will be, is a daughter of Abraham. Some would say, well, that, that just means that she's, she's of the Jewish lineage. Well, that's for certain. She's definitely of a Jewish lineage. But it seems to be more going on here. Nevertheless, whether she already knew the Lord or didn't know the Lord, uh, 
she's loose from this infirmity of paralysis or some sort of uh, condition of not being able to stand up. And she comes when Jesus, uh, notice that when Jesus calls her, she immediately comes. What about us? When Jesus calls us, do we come? His sheep hear his voice. She is called, he comes right, she comes right to him. And understand that although she couldn't look up with physical eyes, she comes to him and she's still looking at the ground. She couldn't physically look up into his eyes. She could still look into his eyes from her heart. Because the voice of Jesus, there's been many a blind person called to Christ, amen? The voice of Jesus still speaks to the heart. And she could look from her heart for mercy. I couldn't find it from doctors. I couldn't find it from anyone. They're all severely limited. I don't know about the problems that are in your life, but everything you'll encounter in life, you'll find that our options are very limited. Money can't solve most problems. I know that our government seems to think if we just throw money at it, you can fix anything. By the way, that's never worked, has it? You can throw trillions at the same problem and get no ROI, no return of investment. But Jesus doesn't have any limits. He lays his hands on her. She comes looking for the mercy that Jude talks about in Jude one twenty one, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And she comes looking for mercy. And he then says right here, it says, he calls her in verse 13, he lays his hands on her. Wouldn't you like to have Jesus' hands laid on you? These aren't just any hands. His, he lays his hand. These are hands that shape the stars. These are the hands that the Bible says he can hold the whole span of the universe in. And yet he can actually put on human flesh and touch a woman 18 years bent over. These are the same hands that will bear the nails of a Roman crucifixion, not yet happened at this point, but it's coming. The same hands that will bear those nails will bear her sins as well. Whether this is her day of salvation or she's already been a follower of the Lord, either way, that precious blood will roll out of those same hands. But in those hands is limitless power. I can't even fathom God's power. Can you? Can you fathom to have no limitations? None. Imagine if you had even a fraction of Jesus' power. A fraction of it. It would be more than anyone on earth. But he has no limits. Water, walk on it. Storms, stop them. Dead people, raise them. I think as Christians, we, we forget, we completely undervalue the limitlessness of God, limitlessness of God, his unlimited power. He doesn't need the help of Humana health care. He doesn't need the latest orthopedic surgeon who just wrote in the journal the best way to relieve partial pain. See, Jesus doesn't do partial jobs, 100%. And he simply says, he lays his hands on her, you're loosed. It's over. 18 years, it's over right now. 
Completely done. He tells her, your trial's over. No, go ahead and stand up. I can't stand up. Yeah, you can. Watch. Just, just lean right up like you were 10 again. Oh, by the way, I didn't just heal you. Your discs are the disc of a 12-year-old now. You have the fluid between your joints of people a third of your age. Oh, by the way, don't worry about ever having to bend over again. You'll have the kind of strength that Caleb had and Moses had in their old age. You're free to go. Now you imagine the impact it had on everyone around them. The crowds were watching this. They were amazed. Many people that were in the community, they'd seen her for 18 years. She's completely healed. But after 18 long years, Jesus heals it in an instant. Christian, if there's something you've been praying for, or something you have a need or in need of, don't give up. Keep coming to the Lord. She kept coming to the synagogue. She kept coming to the synagogue. Not even realizing that the ruler of the synagogue didn't care that much about her. Matter of fact, didn't care at all for her. She kept coming anyway because she really believed in the God that was over the synagogue, not actually in the synagogue itself. There's no power in Calvary Chapel in this building. There's no power in these seats. There's no power in this place. There's not even any power in me unless the Lord fills us and this place and me and you. It's the Lord that she believed in. It's the Lord that she came to. In all her pain, she kept coming. And I think there's something for us, Christian. We need to keep coming to the Lord. Well, I've prayed for this for 10 years. Well, that's not 18. Do I stop at 18? No, because some other stories in the Bible go longer. Abraham and Sarah, we already talked about them. Isaac, they've, they had a shred of faith at the end that he was coming. A shred. Gives me hope, because there's times when my faith is a shred. How about yours? But I hang by a thread a lot of times. And it's a good place to be because God actually can take a, a fishing thread and make it stronger than steel. And God wants us to keep coming, and keep opening the word, and keep worshiping even if our back hurts, bent over, and we say, well, there's no way this is going to happen. God says, how do you know? What if I touch you today? What if I need you to be a witness while you're in this condition? It's not easy, though, is it? Surely she had her doubts. Does God really care? Does God really care about my condition? Many times she probably wants to just stop praying, give up altogether, stop going to the synagogue. It's a waste of time, and the people there are hypocrites. And soon they'll all know, because Jesus is going to expose them all. But she keeps coming anyway. And then as she's healed... In an instant, she's transformed. She's transformed from a spirit of infirmity to a spirit of praise. She traded garments of ashes for garments of praise. In a moment. She already had a believing heart or a I'm not going to give up and keep the faith heart, but it went to a praise heart. I was watching uh, Pastor Doug the praise service that I showed a little bit of Wednesday night. 
and he was talking about all true prayer. I can't remember where he got the quote, but it, it struck me. I meditated on it. All true prayer ends in praise. If your prayer life has never ended in praise, God wants to transform your prayer life. God has to transform your prayer life. All true prayer will end in praise. And you can start praising before the miracles come, and you're that much ahead of the game. But there'll be those the days that you can't, and you'll fall back, and you just have to re-remember that somewhere on this journey, the Lord still can step in, and he's the only hope anyway. But she's immediately healed. She begins to praise. And notice, uh, it says that in verse 13, and she glorified God. Her response is both immediate and it's public. It's public. Now, our prayer life, for the most part, is going to be private. But our life should be a living praise to God. It's going to be noticeable to people around you if you praise the Lord in your life. It's not for show. Your life shouldn't be for show. Look how happy I am. Amazing, isn't it? And it's not, it's not because I've seen a self-help. or I, I, it's, I'm just really that spiritual that I have joy and you don't. It's not for any of the outward show. It's a natural response. It's a praise of like someone just hands you, hey, we paid off your mortgage. Would there be any emotion from you for that? Hey, we don't know you, but we just paid off your mortgage. Hey, thanks. We thought that would happen someday. I mean, these kind of things would have an impact on you. It's a surprise when you get healed after 18 years. So it would have an instantaneous, you should be, you want to tell somebody, you're not going to believe who touched me. You see how it has an outward effect? It's not an inward thing. Christian says, well, I've never told anybody what Jesus has done in my life. Well, what has he really done then? You want to be able to express it, tell somebody what the Lord has done. See, when you're born of the Spirit, it can't be silenced. Jesus wasn't silent, and neither will his followers be. Not in some arrogant way, beating people down, but just saying, look, look can I pray for you? I want to see what's done in your life, what God has done in mine. Glorify the Lord. Christian, has your, life become, has your life become a life of worship and praise? Are you glorifying the Lord in your prayer life, in the Word, in testifying of Him wherever you go, in song and praise? Are you able to lift your hands like Paul said, I would that men everywhere would lift their hands and praise, in your speech, in your countenance, in your attitude? Does it reflect that you've been set free or does it reflect that you're still chained up? Because this woman, it was obvious. Physical condition, spiritual condition, it was a night and day. Even though she was already pressing into the Lord, she had a new source of joy and praise that was evident to everybody. What's going to draw the community to, of people to Christ is not how much we know, it's how much of Christ flows out of us. Amen? Nobody cares how much Bible I know or you know. They want to know the Christ you know. And if that can't be exhibited, then we have nothing to offer. Now, we know that we do because we see it in Christ. 
folks, are we able to worship the Lord with the same passion for God as we can a sporting event? And I like sports. More than I want to like sports, I like sports. Sometimes I try and I wish I didn't care about these things at all. And I care a lot less than I used to, and praise the Lord for that, because over time, the things of God just, they, they just, when the sun rises, all lesser lights go out. Are we able to worship with the same passion that we have as a perfect date, as a wonderful meal, as a great vacation? Nothing wrong with those things. I'll do all of them in this calendar year. Nothing wrong with those, but they pale in comparison to being set free by Jesus. They pale in comparison. And we don't, we often, we often put them on a higher pedestal. I'll see, hear people talk, oh, talk for ever about this great night we had and the meal and everything, but I never hear them talk about that, about Jesus. Oh, yeah, 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 that Jesus stuff. That, that, I got saved a couple years ago, but big deal. No. He's come to set us free that we would worship and glorify him. I love what he said in John chapter 4 to the woman at the well, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Do you know God is seeking for true worshipers? He wants every person at Calvary Chapel, Richmond, to be a true worshiper. You can be saved and still not have yielded to worship and to praise. And the Lord says it's time to come and act like this woman, act like you've been set free. And when you do, other people will get set free. If you want to see people in your family set free, show them someone set free. I'm not talking about coming in and preaching them a sermon every time you see them at the family reunion. I'm saying live with joy. Start there. Just let it flow out of your life and people will say, that is not the same person I knew 20 years ago. But what was the response of the ruler in the synagogue? We know Jesus, we know this woman couldn't look up, no looking up when she walked in. We know Jesus had no limits. But sad, the religious establishment, no love. No love. Total, dry, ritualistic, arrogant. None of the joy that she had. Matter of fact, if these guys were truly sons of Abraham, they should have had similar joy and similar characteristics of a praiseworthy life as she exhibited. But they didn't. These religious leaders, the ruler, it said he answered with indignation. He was disgusted. Can you imagine? He was disgusted that she was healed. 18, how, how little compassion can you possibly have for someone? You know the old saying, I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemies. He was bothered that a woman who had been an eight, how would he like it if he was 18 years bent over? Well, I'm not a sinner like her. And this is a condition that she has acquired because there's probably a grotesque sin in her life. And really, there wasn't. She was just buffeted by Satan, perhaps because she was a follower of God. We don't know. All the details are not given. We'll find out when we get to heaven. What it all 
her life was before, but nevertheless, this man looked down on her, couldn't care less. And you know, there's a lot of religious people that say they care, but they don't. They don't care. They're not praying for people dying in Africa. They're not praying for people dying in Syria. They're not praying for people in North Korean dungeons. They say they care, but God says, no, you don't. These leaders were full of pride. They were full of man-made rules. They were full of systems that raised their spiritual profile and lowered everybody else's, putting themselves on a pedestal. There is no Christian on earth that's any better or worse. We're all sinners saved by grace. But these guys saw themselves as better, holy. They saw in the mirror, they thought they were God's chosen royalty, given authority. And by the way, just because someone represents the Lord and as clergy or pastor does not mean they actually represent the Lord. There's many people who are frauds. We looked at that on Wednesday in Ezekiel chapter 22. They might have the badge. They might have the, uh, the collar. They might have the robe. They might have this, that, and the other. But if they don't have the Spirit of God living in them, they're fraudulent. And they can't represent God. Because God is love and compassionate. This guy couldn't care less about a woman in this condition. Spurgeon said it's a terribly easy matter to be a minister of the gospel and a vile hypocrite at the same time. This has been happening for thousands of years. People that represent the Lord. Turn with me real quick. It's good every now and then to go to a passage you know well. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. Say, I know that passage. Yeah, I do too, but we need to read it again. 1 Corinthians 13. Every now and then, we need to reread these things to ourselves. Because a lot of times, the hypocrite is not standing across from us. It's the one in us. Amen? Let's hear it again. And Paul says, he's writing to the church. Remember, he's writing to the church here. Writing to Christians. Because we can get kind of really dry, stale, and not care that much about people bent over in sin and actually look at them and say, well, that's your own fault. You, you, you chose to use drugs. Well, that's your own fault. You started drinking. Well, that's your own fault. You started living a immoral lifestyle. So, hey, and the Lord didn't look at people that way. 1 Corinthians 13, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. I'm like a bunch of dishes hitting the floor. It never sounds good. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith, I could remove mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. It doesn't matter how much you know. Well, I have three doctorates and two seminary degrees and this, that, and the other, but I'm very, very unloving. Prophet's nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. So you can, give, you can give away a lot of stuff and not even have the right heart in doing it. Hard to believe, but it's true for all of us. Sometimes we've given for wrong motives. I don't want any of you given for wrong motives. That's why I say pray and have the right heart. Love suffers long and is kind. The ruler of the synagogue was not kind. Christian, you know, some of the nastiest emails 
some of the worst attitudes, some of the most unkind dispositions I have ever experienced in 20 years of being safe have come from Christians. When I was in the business world, I had almost always, on average, more gentle decorum from people that were unsaved than I've seen from people in the church. And Jesus exposed it a lot, didn't he? It, it, this ought not be. We should be the most forgiving to one another, the most loving. We shouldn't have church splits and all this other stuff. Should we? No. It should actually be bearing one another with love, considering others better than yourselves. But he says, love suffers long. And it's kind. It's not puffed up. It does not envy. doesn't parade itself. It doesn't behave rudely. You ever meet someone that they, they tell you, yeah, I go to church so-and-so, and then they're really rude, and you're like, whoa. I'm not sure that you're helping the cause there. <laughs> of yourself or where you go or anything. Please, if you're going to be rude, don't tell anyone you go to Calvary Chapel Richmond. <laughs> I beg you. Tell them you're from out of state and you're passing through something. <laughs> but if you're going to be rude, obnoxious, unkind, do not mention this place at all. Love never fails. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you get the idea. And when Jesus looks at him, you hypocrite, he says, think about it. Are you hear what you're saying? Are you really saying you could, you're, are you really saying that because I healed her on the Sabbath, you have a problem with that? Have you never given your ox water? Because in the law, it was allowed. There was not a single, do you realize there was not a single law in the Old Testament that says, thou cannot heal on the Sabbath? There was nothing to point to. This guy was making stuff up. They were the, they were the laws of men, not the laws of God. Nowhere in the Old Testament did God say, no, by the way, I am not going to heal anyone on the Sabbath. That day, you either rest, and if you're going to get healed, you've got to wait till the following day or get healed the day before. He made this up. Not just him specifically, but the, the, the rulers, their, their caste system, if you will, had come up with this. He says, are you hearing yourself? You've become so worldly that you don't even care about people being set free. Do you realize why you're a priest in the first place? It's to have people set free. But instead, you want to bound them up so you can control them. God doesn't put us in the lives. Parents, you didn't have kids so you could control them. You had kids so you could teach them, encourage them, train them up. Now, you have a measure of control. All authority does. But you don't abuse that authority. Amen? This man didn't care. And even though Satan had been buffeting her, and he said Satan has bound her in the physical condition, guess who was really bound by Satan? The ruler. But he didn't know it. She actually knew she was buffeted by Satan and bound, but he didn't know he was bound. His heart was hard. He had no love. Christian, if we don't have love, we don't have the real work of the Spirit in our life. But then we close with these last couple of verses. 18. By the way, look at the result of the crowd. This actually infuriated the rulers even more. It, and when he said these things, his adversaries were put to shame. And the multitude rejoiced. Now, all he did is give Jesus the opportunity to expose their evil hearts and, oh, by the way, remind them all 
how different he was than they were. And that drew even more people to Jesus. See, when the world sees the radical difference between us and them, you won't have to tell them, I'm very different from you. I love people, you don't. They'll know the difference. So you won't have to say it. The Holy Spirit will be speaking that word through us in our life. We look at these last few verses, and the reason I uh, titled the message this way, A Different Kind of Kingdom, is the way Jesus interacts. And then what he says here, he continues speaking, he says, he, he then switches gears. He talks about the kingdom of God. What should I compare it to? He says, it's like a mustard seed, which is that smallest herbal seed that becomes this large bush, if you will, that, uh, that, you know, he's saying that it starts so tiny, but give it time. You're and I have faith. It starts tiny, but give it time, and God will grow it, and God will grow it, and God will grow it some more. He uses leaven, and actually one of the passages in Scripture in a good way, leaven often is, is referenced in, in a negative term as like sin and things that puff up. But here he uses leaven to just make the point that a little tiny bit of leaven is the way the kingdom of God will expand. Like a loaf of bread, you know, it's just that dough, put a little bit of leaven and put it in the oven, all of a sudden it fills with air. And he's saying that the kingdom of God will mushroom. It will actually begin to expand. And no longer will the kingdom of this world remain in control. See, the control of these rulers Jesus looking at them saying, as of now, your system is in control, but it will be trumped. It's going to give way to a different ruler. It's going to give way to a different kind of kingdom. It's going to give way to a different kind of how people will be treated. These religious rulers, like so many, they couldn't recognize they couldn't recognize that Jesus was the king of kings. They didn't see him for who he really was. They couldn't see him as the leader he was. They couldn't see him as the savior he was. They couldn't, or they wouldn't, and they wouldn't, see him as Messiah. The one that could set them free. Not just the woman, but them. They have the ruler of the coming kingdom in their presence, but they can't see it. Because it's so small right now. Jesus came small in a manger, didn't he? He came insignificant to Bethlehem. He came unarrived. You know, he did not come on a private jet. He did not come with an entourage. He did not come with, with all kinds of, I'm telling the whole world from Tokyo to London. To all, I know those cities didn't exist then, but you know what I mean. They couldn't see. They were blinded to his purity. They were blinded to his honesty. They were blinded to his sincerity. They were blinded to his love. They were blinded to his compassion, which he just shows here. They were blinded to his wisdom. They were blinded to his strength. They were blinded to his humility. They were blinded to his truth. He always spoke truth. Truth will set you what? Free. Set that woman free, it would have set them free, but they didn't see it. They couldn't see it. They refused to see it. They were commanders of their own little kingdoms. 
Do you realize the whole world, everyone is trying to set up their own little kingdom in their own house, in their workplace, in their local mayorship, in their local governor, and everyone wants to be their own little ruler and their own little system. That's why it's all idolatry. Their own little kingdoms, ostensibly, they, as rulers of the synagogue, were supposedly the rulers on behalf of God. But actually, they were rulers on behalf of themselves. Meanwhile, a new kingdom had begun, and they didn't even know it. Jesus, from the second he comes on the scene, the new kingdom is coming, and there's not going to be any stopping it. But they can't see it's already begun. You know, long before you and I see a tree growing, it's already growing under the ground. Amen? You may not know that that acorn is under there. It's one the squirrel missed. And it's going to pop up eventually, and the kingdom is already germinating. Jesus is germinating the kingdom. He's already, they don't even know, but those, those ragtag bunch of guys with him, they're going to be mighty warriors for Christ. They're going to lay hands on the sick the same way Jesus did. They're going to go, and Paul's going to shake the entire Mediterranean world. One guy, no internet, no smartphone, no none of that stuff. He didn't even have any church consulting help. All done by the power of the Holy Spirit. The new kingdom was already germinating, but they didn't know it. And Jesus is saying, listen, those of you that now believe me as your Messiah, a new kingdom is coming. But you're going to have to have a little faith because for a while it's going to look like it's not coming. You're going to like, where is it? Still under the ground. Where is it? Still under the ground. Where is it? Is it actually doing anything? Where is it? You ever waited for something to grow? Is it going to happen? I've killed a lot of plants, right? But this one can't be killed. It will grow. And they're thinking, you know, how could they see that? How could a Jewish carpenter with a bunch of peasant followers and no army, how could this man with no apparent wealth, nothing? Jesus said he didn't have a place to lay his head. Everyone in here, you all had more physical wealth than Jesus did in his earthly life. He didn't have any of the stuff we have. How could he with no prestige, no formal education, he was not educated at the Jewish University of whatever at that time. He had no military background, no success in military to point to, no given authority from Rome, no given authority from Jerusalem, none from the temple priest. If anything, he had to be a passing fad with a bunch of peasant followers. That's the way they saw him. And if he had any kingdom, it was a joke. But not only, and on beyond that, they thought if he was anything, he was an abomination because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But not only was Jesus the Messiah, not only was he the king and the savior in their presence, he was greater than Moses and David that they revered. He was greater than Moses and David. He'd take the throne of David. He's in their midst. The kingdom has already begun, but it's just a whisper. At that moment. Amen? At that point, it's just a whisper. But the ground will be breaking. The ground will be breaking, and Jesus is going to burst forth. And his kingdom is here with us today. Amen? And I want to close with something that you and I get to do. Turn with me. 
We'll close with this verse. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. See, his kingdom's here. You and I can't heal people. You and I can't set people free from their sins. But we are representatives of the kingdom that has already come and is going to come in full strength and power in the ages to come. Amen? Amen. Thy kingdom come that Jesus prayed has already come in your life if you've been saved. We are already witnesses of the full manifestation of God's kingdom, which we already know he has already settled the future in the future. We're already, the Bible says, seated in the heavenlies. Well, I don't feel like I'm seated in the heavenlies. That's because right now, physically, you're not. But in eternity future, you are. So the kingdom has come into our lives, and we know it. It's, we, we don't have to hope that it's going to happen like, boy, I hope, I hope I don't sprain my ankle. Now, this is hope like, this would be like saying, I know for certain that I'm going to sit on this chair and it's not going to fall. Because it's been put together with you know, double screws and everything else and it, it, can, it can support 10,000 pounds and I only weigh 170. That's the kind of hope we're talking about. But we have the opportunity to represent this kingdom. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.20. Not only the, the opportunity, but the responsibility. Look at verse 20. Now then, I put this out earlier this week on our church Facebook site. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We have been sent out as ambassadors to the king of the universe to the Savior of the world. Ambassadors. Christian, this is a different kind of kingdom and a different kind of king. Are we representing him as ambassadors or are we not? Are we expressing the joy and praise in our life? Are we praying? Are we caring? Jesus cares. Do we? And we have the opportunity to not be like this ruler, but to be like Jesus and to be like the woman and her response. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you had given us the privilege to represent a different kind of kingdom because you're a different kind of king. You're a king that's perfect, humble, worthy, sinless, and we're saved only by your grace. And Lord, I just want to pray this morning with heads bowed. I want to pray... I'm not even going to look up. And I pray everyone close their eyes and bows their heads. But just, if you have a physical ailment, and I'm not even going to look up, so I don't know who, no one's looking at you. But if you have a physical ailment and you want prayer, I'd ask you to raise your hand for just a second. I'm not looking at you. People aren't looking at you. You have the opportunity when this service ends. If you want to be prayed over, I'm glad to pray with you. If you need physical healing, because Jesus cares about that condition. And you know who you are if you raised your hand. And I first want to pray for all of those in this room and those that aren't in this room. I know Paul is not here today. And I'm going to say a prayer first for the sick. And Lord, I just lift up our sister Paula. She's not here with us this morning. We continue to pray that you would heal her. We know that you have the power to heal her instantaneously. You can reverse every cancer cell in her body. And Lord, you can, she's already a living miracle. 
But we pray, Lord, that you would heal her from head to toe. Lord, I, I continue to have a mustard seed of faith that you can heal. I know that you can. We pray earnestly, Lord, that you would deliver her. Satan buffeting her body. But Lord, there's others here too, whether, it, uh, whether it's digestive tract issues, whether it's migraines, whether it's back issues, whether it's uh, some other, maybe it's high blood pressure, maybe it's, Lord, uh, you know, whatever, and, and maybe some of these things resonate with someone here. Maybe there's something else. Lord, I pray that you would heal those that are here and that not only would you heal them, but they would glorify you and, Lord, have a new sense of joy say, Jesus healed me. Just, and Lord, those that maybe they're in great physical condition, that they would begin to express that you've healed them spiritually. That collectively we would have a witness in this world to say, he set me free. Forgive us, Lord, for not having that kind of response to your love. But Lord, I desperately pray that you would bring physical healing to those who are here. And Lord, that we wouldn't use our newfound health. This woman, I know, Lord, she would then go and help the poor. She would then go and help the sick. We wouldn't use our health to only please ourselves, but we would use our health to serve others. And Lord, we ask these things. And before we open our eyes and before we move forward, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and you, my eyes are open now. I'd ask the church to pray with me for a moment. If you want to receive Christ, your Lord and Savior, say, I... I want to be set free from sin. I want to know that I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. Just stand right where you're at. Don't worry about what anyone thinks. They're praying for you, with you. We all had to make this same wise decision. It was the wisest decision we ever made. Anyone at all, just stand right where you're at. We'll pray with you. We'll give you a Bible. Church, for the, all of us, if we're all saved, I pray that we would represent a different kind of kingdom with a different kind of faith. Amen?